Good evening, everybody. It's great to be able to share with you from the book of Revelation again. Before we start, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you that we can come into your presence this evening by means of what Jesus has done and accomplished for us on the cross. Thank you that we can study your word, that you have revealed so much in your word as to what's going to take place in the future. And we just thank you that we can look at your word, that we can read it, that we can study it, that we can be encouraged by it as well too. And I just pray that as we go through tonight's study, that Holy Spirit, you would just help us to take in what the word of God is actually saying to us here as believers. We just pray and we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. We're going to be looking at the last two of the seven churches this evening. The faithful church and the lukewarm church. Revelation 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David... He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have little strength, but have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Philadelphia was a town or a city that was founded about 190 B.C., by the king of Pergamos, and because of his unusual devotion to his brother, the city earned its name Brotherly Love. That's what Philadelphia means. And it was a very important commercial stop on the major uh, trade routes in that area. And although scripture doesn't mention this church elsewhere, it was probably the fruit of Paul's extended ministry in Ephesus. And the Lord says there, he who is holy, he who is true. We know that God is holy, is sinless, is absolutely pure in nature. And where the Lord says there that he who is holy, he who is true, talking there about truth, Jesus actually referred to himself as, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. He is absolutely pure, he's absolutely true, what he speaks is absolute truth, and this can also mean that he is totally genuine and authentic, as opposed to something that is being fake. So we know what the Lord is uh, sharing with us here, that He is true and what He reveals to us is truth. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. The key of David here could uh, refer to uh, the keys of salvation we know also that Jesus is also pictured in Scripture of having the keys to death and hell. But here, 
the keys of David is more likely keys of salvation and blessing. I know your works, says the Lord. I see I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Philadelphia was home to a synagogue community, community that was very hostile to believers. Philadelphia was home to a synagogue community that was very hostile to believers. And Jesus praises the Philadelphians for remaining faithful in the face of trials, despite their limited strength. Then he goes on to say in verse 10, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the earth, the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. To keep you from the hour of trial, what the Lord is talking about here is an event that is still has to take place in the future. But where we are at this point in time on God's calendar, it's something that is going to be happening in the not too distant future. And that period is going to test the whole world. And what it's referring to here is the time of the tribulation, the seven-year period before Christ establishes his earthly kingdom on the earth. And that time period features the unleashing of God's divine wrath in judgments that we will see when we go through from chapter 6 onwards, expressed in the seal judgment, the trumpet judgment, and the bowl judgments. And this period is actually described in great detail from chapter 6 to 19. And the latter half of that period is called the Great Tribulation. And where the Lord says here that um, I will keep you, the verb there to keep in the Greek is followed by a preposition, which the normal meaning of that is from or out of. So what the Lord is speaking about here, he's talking about pre-tribulational rapture of the church before the world goes into the time period that we looked at as well when we looked at Daniel's uh, Daniel chapter 9 where we looked at Daniel's 70th week and it's also referred to in the scripture as the time of Jacob's trouble verse 11 behold I am coming quickly hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes believers, the hope that we have is unshakable, it's eternal. We have a secure place in 
the presence of God forever. And the encouragement here is to he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. In biblical times, one spoke uh, one's name um, and speaking of one's name, what you were named actually spoke of your character. And so where the Lord writes here that he's going to write the name of my God, um, writing his name on us is actually imprinting his character on us and identifying us that we actually belong to him. And where he talks there about the um, New Jerusalem, the city which uh, comes down from heaven, we'll um, see that when we come to the end of the book of Revelation. Um, and that is a place where we will dwell with the Lord forever and enjoy eternal uh, citizenship. And the Lord says there, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. The moment we actually get to see the Lord, whatever we may have called him or understood by what name we call him at the moment will pale in the reality of what we see, and he will give us a new name by which we will know him. And that's what he refers to here. I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. We're now going on to the uh, letter to the lukewarm church. The church in uh, Laodicea. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Laodicea was located uh, in the Lysus River Valley. It was uh, southwest of uh, Phrygia, and it became a very wealthy, important commercial center in that region, and it was known for three types of industries, banking, wool, and medicine, notably an eye salve that was manufactured there. And there was also... Um, because of the water supply in that area, there was an underground aqueduct that was built to actually bring uh, water to the city. And this inadequate water supply uh, also played a major part, as we'll see now, uh, in the letter to this church. The church began uh, through the ministry of Epaphras, while Paul was ministering in Ephesus. And uh, Paul never visited Laodicea personally. And the Lord has some very, very, very strong words to actually say to this uh, particular church in uh, Laodicea. And um, it's really the harshest words that are actually recorded 
in the Bible that are directed at this particular church. And the Lord said here that this church actually uh, made him feel quite ill. That's why he said, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This church was compromising. It was conceited. It was Christless. The Lodosians were actually very wealthy people, but they were spiritually bankrupt. And they lacked spiritual riches, which only could come through Christ. And the reference here to them being lukewarm, we mentioned this aqueduct that actually brought water into the city. The water that came in in this aqueduct was actually very dirty, uh, not very pleasant tasting uh, water. And visitors that were unaccustomed to it, often after tasting this water for the first time, immediately spat it out. And so the Lord actually says to the church here, because you're neither cold and you're not hot, so you weren't openly rejecting me, says the Lord, but you weren't really filled with spiritual zeal. You weren't really on fire for me. You were like lukewarm. So the Lord actually uh, likens it to like tasting this really dirty water where he says, I actually want to vomit you um, out of my mouth. Verse 17, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Those are very, very strong words that the Lord uses there. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may be able to see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also come overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. As many as I love, I chasten. Chasten or to reprove often refers to God convicting or punishing the unregenerate. And where it also refers to here that um, the Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The most common interpretation for the Lord knocking here is referred to as the Lord actually knocking on a person's heart. But if you actually look at the context here of what the Lord is talking about, Jesus was actually seeking to enter his church that bore his name, but didn't have a single true believer. And so he was saying here, behold, I'm standing at the door and I am knocking. He was actually wanting to come in to this lukewarm church of Lodiasia. And he says, if you open the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne 
as I also overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. And he has the phrase again that uh, the Lord says at the end of each one of these letters to the church churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church at Laodicea was naked. They pretended to be clothed in righteousness, but they lacked righteous acts. In fact, they were naked, and instead of being on fire for the Lord, they were very lukewarm. And that's why the Lord counseled them to actually um, get white garments from him so that their shame might be covered. That was in Revelation 3 verse 18. The Lord also referred to them as being um, spiritually blind. And uh, this is an interesting paradox because the city was famous uh, for exporting a powder that they made an eye salve from that when mixed with uh, water had some medical benefit. And so the Lord says, yeah, you know what? You are spiritually blind. You've actually lost your spiritual perception. And the only way that you can get that back is to repent and submit to the Lord and ask him for wisdom to restore your spiritual sight. And then they were also the compromising church as well. Um, and the Lord encourages them there, therefore be zealous and repent in Revelation 3 verse 19. Um, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And although this can also refer to, as we said, to God dealing with the ungodly, good parents also discipline the children that they love. And although it's not very pleasant to do that, God does that because he loves us too much and he wants us to come back to him. And that's why he chastises us. When we have a look at the uh, seven churches, what is actually very interesting about these churches is that they all fit into a specific time period in history. And if we look at the very first uh, church, which was the church at Ephesus, it was the apostolic church. You can actually fit that into the period of church history from uh, AD 33 to AD 100. Then we have the church at Smyrna, which was the persecuted church. And you can actually fit that into a specific time period as well too, from uh, AD 100 to about AD 313. Pergamos was the compromising church, which you can fit into the time period from uh, AD 313 to AD 538. Then we've got Thyatira, which was the corrupt church. And that church existed for almost a period of a thousand years, from 538 AD to about 517 AD. Then we've got Sidus, which we can also refer to as the Reformation Church. So the Reformation Church began in the 1500s, and you can put that church in the period of 1517 to 1755. 
Then we've got the church at Philadelphia, the Awakening Church, which you can fit into the time period from about 1755 to 1844. And then the church at Elodeacea is today's church, which you can put in the period from 1844 right up to the current uh, period that we're in. And when the Lord spoke to those churches, uh, as we saw, Ephesus was the church that also abandoned its first love for the Lord. Smyrna was the church that would face persecution. Pergamum was the church that needed to repent of sin. Thyatira was the church whose false prophetess was leading the people astray. Sardis was the sleeping church that needed to wake up. Philadelphia was the church that patiently persevered. And Laodicea, as we said, was the lukewarm church. Now, the specific messages to these churches... Um, they apply to us today as well too. That's why the Lord actually says at the end of each one of these letters to the churches, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And also, though these churches, we can fit them into um, time periods or stages in church history, all Seven of these conditions can also exist in the church at any particular one time. And for us where we are today, uh, these warnings are very, very um, applicable to us today because many modern Christian churches have actually wandered from biblical truth. And we have those that teach the uh, prosperity gospel which is exactly what happened uh, to the uh, church at uh, Laodicea as well. Um, they said about themselves that we are rich, we've become wealthy, and we don't need anything. And we see that the prosperity gospel has had a, a, a widespread uh, impact on people in our generation. You also get churches today that do not believe in the Trinity, got others that have grown lukewarm where the members of the church are just going through the motions without any zeal or passion for God. We have many churches in Asia, in the Middle East, even in uh, North Africa, uh, Sudan, Nigeria that are facing persecution. Uh, we also see there's a popular gospel now that's being preached as well too, which has become very popular in our generation. And those are the progressive churches that actually base their theology more on our current culture rather than on solid doctrine found in the Bible. And these warnings here to us, uh, we need to listen. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And although the Nicolaitans are gone, we have millions of Christians today that are being tempted by pornography on the internet. The false prophetess of Thyatira has been replaced by TV preachers who often avoid talking about Christ's atoning death for sin. We have a lot of believers who've turned away from their love for Jesus and idolize material possessions. And even... 
as it was back in those days, drifting away from God continues to be a danger for people who believe in Jesus Christ. And so reading these letters, and they're very short letters to the uh, seven churches, they serve as a reminder to us. Our society is flooded with temptation. And what we need to do is we need to keep our focus on the Word of God. We need to keep ourselves holy and pure. That's what the Word of God encourages us to do. Now, that is something that we strive for. We will never be completely holy and pure in this life because we still have to deal with this body of sin that we're in. But when we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our spirits have been regenerated and God puts the seal of the Holy Spirit on us. And that authenticates each and every single believer as the scripture teaches. When God puts his spirit in us uh, and he regenerates us by the Holy Spirit, that means that we belong to him. But we still have to sanctify ourselves and strive towards being holy. And we can also do that not in our own strength, but by asking the Holy Spirit to help us and to encourage us in that as well too. So as we've looked at these letters, let us hear, let us have an ear to hear what the Spirit is actually saying to us through these letters. And I just trust that this has been an encouragement to everybody. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for your word that you speak to us, that you encourage us, and that you have said that we need to listen and that we need to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. And as we've just mentioned, there is so much temptation in our world today that we just thank you, Lord, that we can look to you, that as we spend time in your word, your word has a sanctifying effect uh, on us, that you refer to the washing of the water of the word, and the word of God has that impact on our lives, that when we read it and study it and walk in obedience to it, that it has a sanctifying effect on us. So, Lord, we just thank you for this time. I just pray a blessing on each and every single person that has been listening to this message. We just thank you, Father, again for your hand on our lives and for what you are doing and accomplishing in your church at this time. We just thank you for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.